Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning. Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Good morning, everybody. Today's sermon text is from Acts 2, verses 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? This is the word of the Lord. You can't give just anybody that text, right? You're all cringing as you see all of the names. Nailed it, Kellen, nailed it. Um, yeah, go ahead. Kellen Nichols, well done. You could be next, so you better be clapping. Uh, great to be here this morning. Uh, I felt like in the first week of this month, I ran out of words for the month, but I got a second win today. So not sure how the next few weeks are gonna go, but we're good today. Um, let me pray for us, and we will dive in. Father God, even as we talk about your spirit this morning, we are dependent upon that same spirit to understand and to grow and to be shaped into your image. God, so we ask this morning that your spirit would move powerfully through your living and active word. God, to encourage us and convict us and shape us in righteousness as your people. To the praise of your glorious grace. Amen. All right. So we are in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And here in these first couple weeks, chapter 1 and then this first part of chapter 2 we're basically laying the groundwork for everything God is going to do in this book and everything he's currently doing last week we talked about the necessity of the the ascension of Jesus and today we're going to look at what happened at Pentecost 
and how these events of Pentecost changed the way that believers relate to God. And, you know, I'm ready to hit the road with the apostles. I want to see what God did through them in this book to witness the growth of this infant church. But the, the church cannot grow if it's not first born. And it, it can't be born if life is not first breathed into it. And this is what happens at Pentecost. The church is born. The Spirit breathes life into the people of God, uniting and empowering them and us to be the body of Christ. Without the power of the Spirit poured out at Pentecost, there is no church. There are no missionary journeys. There is no effective evangelism. There's no church. John Stott said, Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no unity without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit and no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. So when the spirit was poured out at Pentecost, everything changed. The church was born. And what I hope you see today is that the events of Pentecost are not something that we should continually seek to relive. Right? We're not trying to relive that any more than we should try and relive the death and resurrection of Jesus. Pentecost was a one-time event with eternal implications. So rather than trying to like ramp back up our own little personal Pentecost, we should ask God to open our eyes to the fullness of what he accomplished on that day so that we can live inside of this new reality. So I don't want to burst any bubbles, but chances are most of us are not going to experience roaring wind from heaven, okay? Or divided tongues as of fire, most of us. But the new life and joy, the fellowship and worship, the freedom and the boldness and the power that we see in the disciples' lives after Pentecost has been promised to everyone. So what happened on that day was much more than the visible miracles we see in the story. It was a monumental shift in the way we relate to God. It was this turning point in redemptive history. It was the transition from the old covenant of works to this new covenant of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what I want to unpack today. This is way better than miracles. So turn with me or scroll to chapter 2, verse 1. I want to kind of walk through the story first and then pan out and see how everything changed when the Holy Spirit came in power. And where we left things off last week in the first chapter of Acts, Jesus had risen from the grave and after spending 40 days teaching and encouraging his disciples, he told them, just wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And then he ascends. He's gone. 
But before ascending into heaven, he said in verse 8 of chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So when we pick up in chapter 2, it's the day of Pentecost, which was a yearly Jewish festival that took place 50 days after Passover. So it had been 10 days since Jesus ascended. And historically, Pentecost was a big deal in the Jewish world. It was the most popular of the three harvest festivals and Jews as well as converted Gentiles from all over the world would travel to Jerusalem for this festival. That's why it says in verse 5, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So over 500,000 Jews from around the world converged on one square mile in the streets of Jerusalem every year for this festival. It was packed. So, so the streets are swarming with people from all around the world, and about 120 disciples are gathered in a house. For the past 10 days since Jesus ascended, they had been praying and worshiping God together in this house and as we read in the book of Luke, they were waiting for this promise of the Father. And then beginning in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in this place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's crazy, right? This is what Jesus had promised back in chapter 1. The Holy Spirit comes upon them in power. They are clothed with power from on high. So I don't know what these guys were expecting, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't this, right? And they heard a sound like a mighty rushing wind and saw divided tongues of fire. What on earth are those, right? And they begin to speak in tongues. And I'm, I'll say it, you know, you may think, because I stand here, I should be, I am not an expert on God, Right? I don't hold the keys to understanding everything he does or everything he says, but I like to embrace the mystery. We, we just talked about it in our fundamentals class. I take comfort in the reality that God is bigger and more glorious than I could ever wrap my mind around. So I'm okay not entirely understanding the specifics of what God did in that room with the roaring wind and the tongues of fire. If he wanted us to know, he would have told us. But we're so crazy, we'd probably try and repeat it even more, right? We, me, just me. I would definitely try. But the result of this miraculous event was very clear. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so, Scripture here is pretty clear. The tongues referenced in chapter 4 was, they were not a spiritual prayer language. 
They weren't something just between them and God. It wasn't Holy Spirit groaning. We will deal with all of those things in Scripture, but this is not that place. These tongues that the disciples were speaking were other languages, which is awesome. And at this sound, either the sound of the rushing wind or, or the sound of the disciples, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who, speak, who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? Right? They're shocked. Like, what is going on? So the Spirit is poured out on the disciples, and they start speaking in all kinds of really cool languages. Luke says the people were bewildered and amazed and astonished, saying, aren't they all Galileans? And they said this because they were basically first century rednecks. Yeah. They were uncultured, looked down upon, typically uneducated. They likely had a weird accent that you would associate with a less affluent or proper segment of society. But the people in the crowd were hearing them speak in perfect Latin, Arabic, Mandarin, whatever. It's miraculous. And they weren't just randomly speaking in their languages, but they were saying, what they were saying had a purpose. The people in the crowd said, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So the Spirit comes in power and they immediately begin to proclaim the mighty works of God in a crazy, miraculous way. They begin to witness to what they had seen and what they knew about the Messiah. This is what Jesus had promised a few days earlier. You will receive power. And you will be my witnesses. And in verse 12 we read, All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? What does it mean? And that's what we really want to know, right? What does this mean? What happened at Pentecost? What does it mean for us? And if we just focus on the events of Pentecost, the wind and the tongues and the language, it's easy to miss the magnitude of what happened on this day. Because the best way to know the implications of the Holy Spirit being poured out is to look at what changed on the other side of this event. What changed? I mean, that's cool. That was a cool morning, okay? But what changed? We know that Jesus said he was sending the Spirit, but this begs the question of what, what, what was the Holy Spirit doing before this, right? What was the Holy Spirit up to? Was he working in the Old Testament or in the New Testament before Pentecost? And I think you all know the answer is yes. The Holy Spirit was present before Pentecost and in the Old Testament I mean, go Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit was active in the creation of all things. And every living creature is given life through the Spirit. That's what we read in Psalm 104. When you send forth your Spirit, they are created. But the Spirit wasn't just creating in the Old Testament. The Spirit was empowering believers for the work of God. 
the story of Samson in Judges 15, we read that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he wrecked shop, right? Jawbone, a thousand Philistines. And the Spirit rushed upon Saul. He was empowered to defeat the enemies of Israel. And when David was anointed as king, we read that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, equipping him to fulfill the task of kingship God has called him to. The people in the Old Testament were experiencing the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in the New Testament before Pentecost, we see the Spirit working as well. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, we read that Mary was pregnant and the child she carried was from the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' baptism, the Spirit descends like a dove. Then the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. The Holy Spirit is present and active throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Spirit was active and powerful in the lives of faithful men and women. But Jesus promised that the Spirit would come in a new way. With a greater power, greater presence on this day when the Spirit is poured out. And even the Old Testament prophets pointed to this day. They pointed to the coming of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36 says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel, Joel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jesus. They were all pointing to this new and more powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit. They were pointing to a new covenant that God was going to make with his people. A new covenant. Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. So yes, the Spirit was present in the Old Testament. The Spirit was active and powerful. But in this new covenant reality, through the blood of Jesus, the Spirit was inaugurating the new covenant reality, this new truth, this new life. In the Old Covenant that we see in the Old Testament, people related to God through rituals and sacrifices, festivals and feasts. But everything in the Old Covenant system, as we talked about when we went through the book of Malachi, was pointing to something better. It was looking ahead to something greater. God was going to raise up a Messiah, a Redeemer. And he was going to usher in this new covenant and a new kingdom and enable the people of God to walk in holiness and power by putting his spirit in them. And in the New Testament, these prophecies are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Messiah who fulfilled the old covenant law perfectly for us. And then he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin. And having ascended into heaven, he poured out his spirit as a new way to relate to God. So we don't 
have to sacrifice animals anymore because Christ has been sacrificed for us. We don't need a system of high priests anymore like we saw throughout the Old Covenant because Christ is our mediator. He is the perfect high priest and he is always interceding for us. We don't have to go into the Holy of Holies in the temple to be in God's presence because the Spirit now dwells in us. That's what's taking place here at Pentecost. It is the transition from this old reality to the new that was promised in Jesus Christ. And when you compare how the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament When you compare that power with the power we see after Pentecost, it is drastically different. In this old covenant, the the Spirit was almost completely confined to the people of Israel. With the Holy Spirit only coming upon a few people with significant time, powerfully. In the old covenant, the Spirit could be lost The power of the Spirit could be taken away, as we saw in Saul's life. And David feared. He writes about it. Like, don't take your spirit from me. In the Old Covenant, we never see demons being cast out or Satan being confined. And in the Old Covenant, the power of the Holy Spirit resulted in little effective evangelism among the nations outside of Israel. It was so confined and contained. When you read the Old Testament, the Spirit is there and present, but the power of the Spirit seemed limited. It's maybe a bad word. It was was reserved. But now at Pentecost, we see something very different has happened. Immediately, we see here at the beginning of chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit gives the disciples much more effectiveness in their ministry. And in their witness, like the church is about to explode in a good way, not a bad way. They are miraculously empowered to proclaim the mighty works of God. Right? I always pick on Peter. I don't know why. I maybe like him. But after denying Christ three times less than 60 days ago, Peter's about to proclaim with boldness to the masses an epic sermon. That's got to be the Holy Spirit. And as we get into the book of Acts, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit provides much greater power for victory over the influence of sin. We're going to see the Holy Spirit empowering believers to have victory over demonic forces by casting out demons again and again. You see, the Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost resulted in a wide And yet before, like, distribution of ministry gifts. We just didn't see that before. But now, just gifts are distributed to all believers without prejudice or partiality. The Spirit empowers and equips and gives skills to believers to serve the church in a crazy variety of ways. And... The gospel is obviously no longer limited or effectively limited to the Jews, right? But all races, all nations are able to hear this gospel in power 
and be united with God and with the people of God for the glory of God. What made Pentecost so unique was that from that moment on, God would dwell with his children, right? Not just be near them, not just be with them coming and going, but eternally present and powerful inside of every believer. Not just the Jews, but every tribe and every tongue and every nation can experience the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, and we are united as one eternal family. So on this day of Pentecost, the church was born. Life was breathed into the people of God in a new and powerful way uniting us to live and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. So what does all this mean for us? What do we do with this? And I would tell you, it means that God is with us. That's powerful. God is with you. He will never leave us or forsake us because the spirit dwells in us. We no longer have to fear, like David did, that the spirit would be taken away. Because when God looks at us, he doesn't see the accumulation of our sin, but the righteous perfection of Christ. He was the perfect, spotless sacrifice. So our lives are bound up in Christ, and we have been sealed with the promised spirit. As Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, you've been sealed by this Holy Spirit that's been poured out and he is the guarantee of our inheritance until we take possession of it. It's awesome. The new covenant promise is the assurance that we will never struggle alone. We will never be separated from God. No matter how hard or how painful life gets, Christ is with us with all his healing power because the spirit was poured out on Pentecost. Because of that, we have assurance that God is with us always, exactly as Jesus promised before he ascended into heaven. So God is with us and God is changing us. He's changing us. Through the power of the spirit, we are being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. This is what 2 Corinthians 3 says. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the Spirit is at work inside of you. He is transforming you. And God doesn't say, get your life in order and then come to me, right? We we say that. He doesn't say, fix your problems, take care of your anger or your pride or your lust, and then I'll accept you. Then, Then show up. He says, bring me the broken stuff. Bring it to me. Bring me your doubt Bring me your pain. Bring me your struggles. I will cover these sins with my blood. 
I will comfort you as you struggle. I will give you my spirit to walk with you through grief. He will bring transformation in our hearts. God is with us. God is changing us. And God is equipping us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't just say, you will be my witnesses, go make disciples. He said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? It's not our power. The Holy Spirit brings abundant power for God's people. The ministry of the Spirit in equipping God's people is endless. It is unceasing. Scripture says that the Spirit speaks to us, convicts us, prays for us. When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit is praying groans that words can't express for us. The Spirit knows you better than you know you. The Spirit knows what you need better than you know what you need. The Spirit guides us. The Spirit reminds us of everything Jesus said. He points us to the infinite glory of Christ. It's awesome. This is all in the Bible, too. I didn't just make that up, right? It would just be too many texts to quote. The Spirit takes everything Jesus did and everything Jesus is and implants this in our hearts. That is the power that was poured out on Pentecost. So what took place with the roaring wind and the flaming tongues and the languages, it was miraculous. It's amazing. But my hope is that we don't get bogged down in the miracles and miss the magnitude of what God was doing. Because if you've been in the church, you know far too many people have spent their lives trying to relive the events while neglecting the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit that was poured out that day. There's power to navigate a rough and messy world in our rough and messy lives, right? Miracles are super cool. I like miracles. They're real. God can do that. But miracles were never intended to sustain our faith. They're just not. Remember the Israelites? Those people were so dumb, right? Yeah, they complained a lot. They were prideful. Man, I'm glad we're not like them. But we can look at them and just know how well off we are, right? They, they, they're guided out of Egypt by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Once again, I don't know what that looks like, but it sounds epic. Then they cross a sea on dry ground. And it only took them a month to melt all their jewelry down and make for themselves a golden cow. I mean, there's so many things wrong with that, right? Of all the animals that you want to worship, it's a cow? Like a bear or a cougar. I don't know. Maybe they didn't have them there. So, point being, I told you, been a lot of talking lately. Miracles could not sustain their faith. And they can't sustain ours. We all want to see the Holy Spirit move in miraculous ways. We just have to be careful not to focus so hard on seeing the outward miracles that we neglect the miraculous reality that the Spirit of God himself dwells in you. 
That's a big miracle. And so my hope is that we as a community would, would pray for God to work miraculously. Yes, to move in powerful ways in this community. And I know he can and he already is. But my ultimate hope is not that we experience miraculous events, but rather that we would know the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit. The power to daily walk in this new covenant reality that was purchased by the blood of Jesus and sealed by the indwelling spirit. God is with you. God is changing you. And he is equipping you through the power of the Spirit, to live as witnesses. That's the call, to live as witnesses to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. So let that be the courage you need to be a witness. The Spirit now dwells in you, empowering you, just like we talked about this morning in Fundamentals. Let us proclaim the glory of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we are a dependent people. God, we need your presence and we need your power to navigate this life. We need them to walk in faithfulness day after day after day. And you have promised this power through your spirit that now dwells in us. So God, we pray this morning that you would increase our faith, that we would experience your spirit in a fuller way, and that we would be moved to proclaim the mighty works of our God. Amen. Praise God Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamlin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org.